All right, well, this morning, if you have your Bibles with you, and, uh, and I hope you do, then please turn to John chapter 8 with us as we continue today to look at the I Am statements of Jesus, as Matt said. And if you've been hanging with us, then you understand that these are the statements that Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, who took upon himself flesh, he became a man, entered into our humanity on the very first Christmas day. And who then as a man reached all the way back into the pages of the Old Testament, all the way back to the burning bush story where Moses and God speak and where God reveals to Moses, but not just to Moses, to us. It is his memorial name to all generations. The creator God says to Moses, okay, you want to know what my name is? My name is I am Jesus Christ, Son of God, taking upon Himself flesh, entering into our humanity on that first Christmas day, as a man then reaches back into the pages of Scripture, lays hold of the I am name of the eternal Creator God, takes it to Himself, and in in so doing says, I'm that God, He's me, and then He attaches it, as we've also seen, to a whole host of different ideas or images that are also largely to be understood within the context of the Old Testament and every single one of which deals with life. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the bread of life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the true vine who organically, if you just think about a way a vine works, gives life to the branches and brings forth life, which is called fruit, through the branches. I'm the good shepherd who leads my sheep in the pathways of life. I'm the door who separates my people from destruction and death and eternally secures for my people deliverance and life. Jesus Christ, Son of God, takes upon Himself flesh, comes into our humanity on Christmas, and through these I Am statements is saying a number of things to us. He's saying, number one, if you want to know who I am, I'm that God and He's me. The invisible God made visible. The incomprehensible God, okay, still incomprehensible? but in the most comprehensible form possible. The intangible God, tangible, in a body. I'm that God and He is me. Number two, if you want to know what I'm all about, well, generally speaking, I'm all about life. Number three, if you want to know what kind of life I'm all about, start paying attention to the images. Drill down biblically on things like bread and vine and door and today on light. The I am statement that we're going to look at today is found in John chapter 8, verse, or verse 12, where Jesus comes to us and He says, okay, guys, here's the thing. I am the light of the world to which He then immediately adds, whoever follows me will not walk in what? In darkness, but will have the light of life. And if we're going to understand what Jesus is saying, then we need to understand something about this image of light in the Bible, and we need to understand it also in contrast with darkness. Light is one of the most pervasive images in the entire Bible. If you just think about it, you open the Bible to page one. What do you read? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then He describes what the earth looks like, and it's dark. It's dead. Those two things go together. It's formless. It's chaos, and it's void. It's empty. And what is the first thing God does to begin to cure all of that? The first recorded words of God in the Bible are, let there be light. So there it is, page one. And you turn in your Bible all the many pages all the way to the last page. And what do you read about light there? You read that in the new heavens and in the new earth, the new creation 
the place where you and I are destined forever to be, there will be no night, there will be no darkness, there will be nothing, he's saying, but light forever and ever and ever and ever. Light is one of the most pervasive images in the Bible, and it needs to be understood in contrast with darkness. Why? Because we come to understand things in terms of their opposites, and that's true in all different areas of life. We know up because we know down. We know cold because we know hot and vice versa. We know young because we know old. We know big because we know small. If I was to take you bass fishing with me and you were to catch a bass, let's say, that big, I would know that's a really big bass. Here's why. All the ones I've caught are about this big. That's it. And I might be a little resentful, but I'd have a frame of reference is the idea. We know big because we know small. We know good because we know evil. And that by itself kind of explains the existence of evil, at least to some degree, does it not? We have been made as a people who will forever worship and serve the Lord God, not just as our Creator, but as our Redeemer, to whom He will be forever unfurling His great glory and all of His attributes, one of which is goodness. And we will forever worship and serve Him all the more for His goodness because we know evil because we've been victimized by evil, because we've done evil things. We know innocent because we know guilty. We know mercy and grace because we get concepts like judgment and and, and justice and that which is deserved versus that which is given. And I could go on, but you get the point. Light is one of the most pervasive images in the Bible, and it needs to be understood in terms of its contrast. And what is that? Well, its opposite is darkness. So what is light? Let's run through. You ready? Light, first of all, in the Bible is seen as the creative gift of God. Again, you open the Bible, page one, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, dark, dead, formless, void. We got that. We covered that. You're going to remember that because that's important later. And then the first creative words of the Lord God are, let there be light. Light is the creative gift of God. So then what is darkness? Well, if light is creative, darkness is anti-creative, isn't it? It's the opposite. If light brings order, darkness brings chaos. If light in some sense brings fullness, darkness brings emptiness. If light is constructive, darkness is deconstructive. If light is the creative gift of God, then darkness is the anti-creative work of the enemy of God and of us, God's people. Secondly, light in the Bible is given specifically to rule over darkness. That's so huge. Light inherently has the power to conquer darkness. That's enormous. You really need to absorb that. And we get that on page one, too. I mean, you know, it's on other pages, but right there at the beginning, it's like God has a page one lesson for us, and it is that light is given to rule over darkness. We read that God created the sun to rule over the day. What does that mean? Over the darkness that would otherwise envelop the day and bring with it death. We read that the moon is made to rule. That's the language, again, over the night, over the darkness that would otherwise completely fill this earth and cause us to stumble and cause us to grope, and cause us to fall. Light in the Bible is given specifically to rule over darkness, which means, by the way, that when Jesus comes to us and He says, you know, whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness. That means we will not walk subject to the perils of darkness. There is a safety to the light that is absent 
in the darkness. It's huge. Thirdly, light in the Bible is associated with God's presence. And you see that in a lot of places, you know. I mean, you think about the people of Israel that God leads out into the wilderness, and how does He guide them at night? It's by a pillar of fire. Translation, a pillar of light. You read in the pages of the Old Testament about the Shekinah glory of God, this luminous cloud, if you will, that covers Mount Sinai, for example, as Moses goes up into the cloud to meet with the Lord God and to receive His law, and He comes out and Moses himself is glowing. It's like to be in the presence of God is to glow with His light. That's an interesting thought. Hang on to that too. You read of the Shekinah glory of God that fills the temple. And it so fills the temple and it is so thick that the priests are incapable of doing their temple duties for the presence of the Lord in that luminous cloud is so powerful. Light in the Bible is associated with God's presence. So then what is darkness associated with? You're thinking, I know, it's the absence of God. No, it's actually His presence in judgment. That's what you find. Numerous examples again, but... Think again of the people of Israel and Egypt. What time of day is it when God comes and visits death upon the Egyptians? It's done under the darkness of night. Fast forward to the Lord Christ, and He hangs on the cross. It's the middle of the day he's hanging on the cross, and as God rains down His judgment upon Jesus... For the infinite weight of every one of our sins, the Lord God turns the day to night. The sky is darkened. Light is associated with the presence of God. Darkness with His judgment. It's perilous. Light in the Bible represents that which is pure. Darkness, that which is impure. Light represents that which is true. Darkness, that which is untrue. Light in the Bible represents things like wisdom and understanding, darkness, foolishness, and ignorance. Light brings the favor of God. That's what it's associated with. His blessings, if you will. His benediction, if you will. Darkness, His disfavor, His cursing. Big difference. Light brings joy. Darkness brings sorrow. And then, of course, light also reveals. Light brings sight. By light we see. Significant. Darkness blinds us. To be in the darkness is to be blind. To be in the light, who is Christ, is truly to see. And then lastly, light in the Bible is necessary for life. You know, if there's no light, there's no life. And that's true physically, by the way. But it's also true spiritually. And we've got to keep all those categories in mind. And so light is one of the most pervasive images in the Bible. In between God's let there be light on page one of the Bible and His assurance that there will be nothing but light for us who have faith in Jesus for all of eternity, on the last page of the Bible there are over 200 occurrences of the image of light in the Bible. And some of them predict the birth of Jesus. Isaiah looks forward 750 or so years to the birth of Christ, and he speaks of Jesus in advance, and he says, a people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Some of the occurrences that you find deal with the birth story of Jesus himself. The story's full of light. I mean, think about it. The Magi follow the light of the star to the feet of the Savior, don't they? The shepherds, you know, they're out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, right? 
And the glory of the Lord, what? Shone. It's light. Shone round about them as they announced to the shepherds the birth of the Savior. The infant Jesus is presented by Mary and Joseph to old Simeon, if you know the story, in the temple. And what does he say about Jesus? He says that he is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and of glory to thy people Israel. But I think that probably the most profound and frequent use of the image of light in the Scripture, the most pervasive use, is found in the writings of the Apostle John, who at the very beginning of his gospel uses language that causes you, or at least should, to recall the first words on the first page of the Bible. He comes to us and he speaks of Jesus as the Word. You've heard that. But then he introduces him with this language. He says this in John 1, verse 1. He says, in the beginning, so you hear that, right? I mean, you open the Bible, page 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, dark, dead, formless, void, let there be light. That's the pattern. In the beginning was the Word, John says, and the Word was with God, and the Word, who is Jesus, was what? God. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. It's the language of creation, isn't it? It tracks the first page of the Bible. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And now listen to this. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Let there be light. And what does the light do? It masters the darkness. He says the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skip to verse 14, and he says, and the Word, this Jesus, God the Son, became flesh, that's Christmas, and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then this same Jesus, having taken upon Himself flesh, having entered into our humanity as a man, the God Man reaches back, grabs up the old I am name, the memorial name of the eternal creator God, takes it to himself, and then among other things, attaches it to this pervasive image of light. When he says this, he says, I am the light of the world. And so what is he saying? Well, at the very least, he's coming to us and he's saying, guys, look, I'm not just the creative gift of God. I am the creator God himself come to you as a gift. That's pretty cool. And come to you as a gift that I might reign and rule and dispel because light has power over darkness, not just the darkness of this world, but let's get personal, the darkness of your mind, the darkness of your heart, the darkness of your understanding. The darkness of your walk, whoever follows me will not walk. It's a metaphor for life, the darkness of your life, he's saying. It's very personal, that you might no longer fumble about in the darkness. The Bible uses the word groping for those of us who move in darkness, that you might not grope, if you will, your ways blinded by the darkness down the pathways of life that you can't see and therefore you fall in its holes and you stumble over its tripping hazards. And sometimes you just go in a big circle. Except every time you realize that you've gone in a big circle, you know, you're not re-strengthened. You're weakened for having taken the trip because all the while you're subject to every peril that lies in wait for you cloaked in the darkness. 
Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And by saying that, he's saying, look, I'm the very presence of God. And the very definition of all that is pure and true as opposed to that which is untrue. I'm the light of the world. He's saying, look, in me is wisdom and not foolishness. It's understanding and not ignorance. It's favor and not disfavor. It's blessing and not cursing. It's joy and not sorrow. He says, I'm the light of the world, meaning that by me you can see. And apart from me, you can't. You can see God by the light of Christ. You can see yourself accurately, maybe, you know, but for the first time even, perhaps, by the light of Christ. You can see your marriage by the light of Christ. Your kids, your parents, your friends, your business, your career, your job, your time, your talents, your treasure, all of these things are rightly able to be evaluated by the light who is Jesus, and in particular, by the light of His Word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a what? And a light unto my path. I'm the light of the world, says Christ. By me you can see, and in me there is life. So it's not a little statement. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, and so he's saying a mouthful by saying that, but he doesn't just say a mouthful about himself because, again, he immediately adds something to that. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In other words, what's going to mark our lives as we follow Christ are no longer going to be the emblems of darkness. We will be laying those down. But instead, what we're going to be taking up in ever-increasing fashion, as we follow our Savior, as we come to know Him, as His Word truly becomes a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, as we set aside our foolishness and gain His wisdom and so forth, as we're conformed more and more into the image that is He, as we, like Moses, begin to shine, if you will, with the glory of Christ and the light who is the Lord Christ, as His Spirit fills us with His light, more and more so, our lives will be marked with the emblems of light. Creativity, constructivity, order. Wow. I mean, just throw that one out in the Christmas season. Fullness. The presence of God, power over darkness, purity, truth, wisdom, understanding, favor, blessing, joy, sight, and life. Which, if you think about it, means that as we follow Christ and His Spirit fills us and His Word becomes that lamp unto our feet and light unto our path, and we evermore begin to reflect the light who is the Lord Himself, our lives will evermore stand out in a world that is otherwise marked by darkness. That's why the Lord says this in Matthew 5, verse 14. He says, you, meaning you guys whose lives are marked by the light of the world who is me, are the light of the world. Now, why is that? Because Jesus Christ has ascended, and He has sent forth His Spirit into His people, and He has given us His Word, and He's called us to follow Him out into the world. He sends us out, and we today are the light of the world. 
as we follow him obediently. He says, you are the light of the world. He doesn't say you're a light of the world. He doesn't say you're one of the lights of the world. He says you are the light of the world. And he doesn't take a vote. Did you notice that? He doesn't run an opinion poll. He doesn't come to his people and go, hey, listen, I'm trying to get my whole light of the world program up and running. And I thought maybe it'd be cool if you would, you know, I mean, play along. Go to the lightoftheworld.com website that I've established. You can take the virtual tour. You can listen to the video testimonials. You can get a feel kind of for what maybe is involved and the kind of commitment that it's going to involve. It might be, you know, what's in for you. And you can actually opt in online or send in this postcard. He doesn't do any of those things. He's coming to you and I, whom he has purchased with his own life, filled with his own spirit, given his word to and called on his mission. And he's saying to us, as our king, let me tell you who you are. If you belong to me, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world, he says. And then there's a little period at the end of that. There's not a comma. There's not a footnote. There's not a little end note that says, unless you don't want to be. Or There's none of that. Just you are the light of the world, period. End of, end of point. That's it. It's like, you know, it's not you're the light of the world at church. You're the light of the world with your community group. You're the light of the world when you're hanging with your Christian friends. You're the light of the world when you come home from college and you kind of have to be in your parents' house. You're the light of the world all the time. All of the time. And the world needs light. Darkness is a perilous place. You are the light of the world, and so now what he says is, get out there and shine, man. And notice how he says it. He says, a city set on a hill. The little word set actually matters, like it's important because it speaks of purpose. It speaks of intentionality. See, back in those days, they would literally set, intentionally place, build cities on top of hills oftentimes. Why? For reasons related to protection and life. And they would build these cities, generally speaking, out of a white stone, like a limestone. And then they would encircle the city that's up on the hill with a white limestone wall. And then at night, in the darkness, they would light up the wall with torches in a world without any other electricity or light. So you have to imagine traveling toward one of these cities and seeing it up on the hill. It's unmistakable. He says a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Well, yeah. But you have to take that to heart. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And then he says, nor do people light an oil-burning lamp in a home where there's no electricity and put it under a basket. You don't light it to hide it. You put it on a stand, which you then strategically place within the context of that house so that it can throw off as much light as possible into every corner of that house, if you will, so that people within that house can function and live safely. You, my people, are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And then Jesus looks at us and he says, okay, in the same way, in ways that are strategic, in ways that are open, in ways that are obvious. 
In the same way, let your light, the light of Christ who lives in you, let your light shine. Let it shine before others so that they may see your good works, that they might see the emblems of light in your life, the works of light, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then he ascends into heaven and he sends forth his spirit into his people. He calls us into an everlasting relationship with him and he gives to us his word. He tells us that we are to follow and engage with him day by day, moment by moment. And he says to that group, he says, okay, here's the thing. You're the light of the world. Now go out there and shine. Shine. Amen. We spent this Christmas season focusing on the homelessness issue here in our community. Um, It's an issue of apparent darkness. And what it is that the church community through this organization of Hope South Florida has come around this issue to do, how it is that we can be instruments of light in this community uh, to these people who are suffering, uh, and many of whom live in darkness physically and then also spiritually. And week by week at the end of each service, what we've done is we've had people come up and lay out for you sort of the philosophy of ministry of this particular organization called Hope South Florida. And we've talked about building hope, and we've talked about building housing, which is something we're very actively engaged in through the Rio House. And today, I'm going to invite Matt up after I pray, and he's going to come and talk to you about building community and introduce you to some people who I'd love for you to meet and talk with and interact with uh, and who are sort of leading the charge in that regard, okay? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do praise you that you have shown the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ um, or of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ into our hearts that you have chosen for your glory to do that for we, your people. Lord, I pray that by your Spirit we might truly dedicate ourselves to letting the light that is Christ who lives within us shine forth through us. God, let our lives be marked by the emblems of light and as such to stand out in a world that is marked by the emblems of darkness. God, let us let our good works shine forth that we might glorify our Father and that people might come and ask what the difference is and the difference is Jesus. We pray these things for your glory and we thank you. Amen.